final judgment of Israel. Samuel begins with Samuel, and then we have a unified kingdom under ruled by David by the end of 2 Samuel. And 1 and 2 Samuel is named after the main character uh, that introduces the book. Samuel would serve as the last judge. He was also a prophet, he was a priest, and he filled three different roles of leadership and service in Israel. Um, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, when we got through the end of 1 Samuel, we saw that Saul had died, and his sons had died, and that's where the book ended. And then we pick up tonight here in 2 Samuel, and we'll dive and look at a lot of things. This book could easily be titled, 2 Samuel could be called David, really. Because it's about David's life and all the things that David did. It's entirely, 2 Samuel is about the life and the kingdom that David had. We see the nation of Israel probably at its zenith at the height of its power. And David is described in Scripture as a man who was after God's own heart. He was spoken of very highly in the Bible, even though, and I love the fact, in light of the sin that he had in his life, he still was described as a man after God's own heart. I'll explain more of that as we get to the end here tonight. If you want a simple way to look at the book and to break it down, you could do it this way. There are 24 chapters. The first 10 chapters are good things in the life of David. The next 10 chapters, from 11 through 20 there, they are the bad things in David's life. That's where Bathsheba and that all takes place, chapter 11 through 20. And then the last four chapters are just the end of David's life. That's the simple version of it. But I'm going to break it down a little bit better for you than that tonight to give you a little bit of insight into the book, and since we didn't get to see that video as well. If you're there in 2 Samuel 23, look at verse number 1. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as a tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is all my salvation, and all my desire, although he made it not to grow. One of the things as I look at this, we see basically David's last words, and it's a great reminder about the effect we can have as we lead. As a husband, as a father, as a as a wife, as a mother, as a teacher, as a boss, as a pastor, whatever the case may be. Think about this. You see there in verse number four, it talks about, and he shall be as light of the morning. Think about this with me. Everyone brightens up a room. Some when they enter, and others when they leave. Are you one of the people that brightens up the room by you being there or when you leave? You see, as a leader in our homes, as a leader in whatever, in our workplace, wherever the case may be, we should be a light, a bright shining light when we're there, not when we leave. 
And just a thought for you there. That will give you something to think about later. Let's go through the book, and I'll break it down into seven different sections. Number one, we see David's lamentation. We see David's lamentation from chapter number one through, and for the first several chapters, I want you to go back with me, and we're going to look at these, we're going to look at some verses as we go through. So go back to 2 Samuel chapter number one. And so David finds out about the fact that Saul has died. You look there at chapter number one and look down at verse number four. So 2 Samuel 1, verse number 4, the scripture says, And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me, and answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? Go down to verse number 11. Then David took hold on his clothes, and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. Think about this. The book of Second Samuel opens up with David lamenting over the man, the death of the man who tried to kill him. Me, I might have been throwing a party. This guy who's been chasing me everywhere, he's gone. Woohoo! That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because of several of the things that he does throughout the book here that we'll talk about some of them. You see, David lamented the fact, you think about this, his king, his best friend's dad, Saul, died. His best friend, Jonathan died. Israel's leader had died. Now we all know that God had called and David was anointed to be the next king, but you see how David was waiting on God and God's timing for that to happen. And we basically see the opening of 2 Samuel, we see the fact that David's lamenting over Saul, but then by the end of the book, it ends with him lamenting over the life of a man who tried to kill him as well, and his son Absalom. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. We see number one, we see David's lamentation. Number two, is lamenting. Number two, we see David's successes. David's successes. From chapter two through chapter number six, there are lots of things that take place. We're not going to go through all of them, but I might just skim through some. If you look at chapter number two, and you look with me at verse number four, and the Bible says, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilad were they that buried Saul. And we see that David in chapter two here, he's anointed king over Judah. But then look what happens as well. Look down at verse number eight. It says, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took um, Ish-bosheth, Bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Menahem. So we see that David was anointed king over Judah, but one of Saul's sons was anointed king over the 11 other tribes. There's some conflict that takes place here. Chapter number 3, you can go with me to verse number 27. And like I said, we're going to just see a few verses here or there and dive through a lot of different things. Chapter 3, verse 27. 
We see it says, And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib, and he died in the blood of Ashael, his brother. So you see that Abner was Saul's captain, and Joab, David's captain, murders him in revenge for his brother's murder. You look at chapter number 4, Saul's son that reigned over the 11, uh, the 11 tribes. You see the fact that he's murdered in his own bed in chapter number 4. You look with me at chapter 4 and go down to verse number 7. The Bible says, For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. And you go down to verse number um, 10 through 12, it says, When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings. This was David talking here. I took hold of him and slew him in Ziglag. Who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings? How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. The men thought that David would be happy that they killed the man who was reigning over the other 11 tribes. Do you see how David responds, though? David, in his actions with people, you see over and over again, you see grace, you see forgiveness, and there's no hint of revenge in David. Think about this. David does right, even if the wrong is justified. And let me just say something tonight. Wrong is never justified in God's eyes. It's never right to do wrong. Never. It's one of the things that we see about David, that God, why God calls him a man after God's own heart. You know, he should have been thrilled that Saul was dead. He should have wanted this guy, Saul's son. It was, he was supposed to be king, right? That's who God anointed. But I love that David lets God take care of things, and he doesn't take things into his own hands. Remember, David had opportunities to kill Saul. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. David was God's anointed, too. But he waited on God to take care of those things. And it just, we see that. We see in chapter number 5, in verse number 4, it says, And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In chapter 5 here, he's made king over all of Israel. He's 30 years old at this time when that happens. And there are a lot of things that take place. And after that time, we see that Jerusalem's conquered. You look at um, um, chapter 5 here, look at verse number 6. It says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. And uh, we see here the fact that he conquers the Jebusites and sets up Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, something to remember today. What is the capital of Israel? Jerusalem is. 
Why do you think that the, um, you think about just several months ago now, it seems like everything runs together, but didn't we move our uh, embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? There's things behind that. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's something to always remember, and we'll just leave that there and keep on going on. But David becomes king over all of Israel. He has success. You're there in chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the people Israel's sake. And we see God blessing him. And you see that David handles things very wisely and he's very spiritual in the way he does. And God continues to pour out his blessing and protection on David as the new king over Israel. They conquer the Philistines. And that was something that was very important. He obeys God. He does what he's supposed to, and God gives him great victory. Chapter number six with David, as we're talking about his successes, we see that the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Jerusalem, where it should be. And if you remember what had happened, what had taken place, you go back to 1 Samuel, and remember it was brought out to battle, and the Philistines took it. And all these things that had happened, and it was brought back to where it belonged, and how, what a blessing that was to have the ark back. But we see his success from chapter 7, which leads us to number 3. Like I said, hopefully I'm not going, am I going too fast for anybody? No, am, am I okay? We're making sense here tonight. Number 3 is we see David's promise that's found from chapter 7 through chapter 10. I told you the first 10 chapters are all good things. From chapter 7 through chapter number 10, David wants to build a temple for God. He says, I've got a beautiful place to live, and I think that God should have a nice place. But God tells him, David, you're not going to be able to do this. You're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Look at verse number 4. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt build a house for me to dwell in. Whereas I have not dwelled in any house since the time I, that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel saying, Why build ye not me in house of cedar? Now therefore thou shalt say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep's cot, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou winnest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. So God goes from David wants to build God a house and God's like, David, I'm going to build a house out of your family and your line. Keep on reading verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, 
and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. This is talking about Solomon. God wasn't going to allow David to build the temple. Solomon was going to build it. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. You see, the Lord tells him, if your family gets away from me, I'm not going to take it away like I did Saul. So, well, why did God not bless, why didn't God do that with Saul? Why did God do that with David? There are lots of reasons we could get into and debate back and forth. And people have done that for many years, and I'm not the type to debate. That's just me. I would rather know what I'm supposed to do and do what I'm supposed to do and not debate with people. And there are some people that like to debate. And how many of you like to debate? Anybody like to debate in the room? Yep, I see two hands, and I knew both of you like to debate. You're the exact opposite of me in that area. But I thank God for those who like to debate, because then I don't have to, because we got two good ones right here that do a good job when they do debate. I like to watch, I like to watch sometimes Facebook and watch people debate things. The guy just eating the popcorn, sitting back watching people debate, and just laughing and shaking my head, laughing at people. And... Um, but one thing I remember was Israel wanted a king before God wanted them to have a king. You say, well, was Saul God's will for the children of Israel? What tribe did Saul come from? The tribe of Benjamin. The line for Jesus, for the coming Messiah, was going to be through the tribe of Judah. Saul was not the right man. But do you see how God gives us, and sometimes, and you've got to be very be careful what you ask for. So often we think we know what's best and we know what we need when we don't. My kids just, you know, today we're sitting down for lunch, and can I have soda with lunch? No, you can't have soda with lunch. <laughs> I think Caroline's words were, if you want to ruin your teeth like your father has, you can do that when you're an adult <laughs> and figure that out for yourself. I think that, that was the gist of what she said. Wasn't that, that's the gist of what you kind of said there? Yeah. But if they had their choice, they would just eat candy all day long and drink soda pop and all that stuff all day. It wouldn't be good. We don't, we got to be careful. And sometimes God gave Israel what they wanted and it didn't work out very good for them. We need to trust the Lord and want what he wants. But something else, God's will always happens. We see God worked everything out all the way along. And we see this promise from God. And God promised David that um, Solomon would build a house for the Messiah. And he would come from his house. And his kingdom would be eternal. And that's where we see someday we talked about the millennial reign of Christ. He's coming to reign on the throne of David. That goes back to here. Written a long time ago. Chapter number 8 through 10 
as some great things. We see victory after victory for David and for the children of Israel. In chapter number 9, one of my favorite stories of David is about Mephibosheth. And Jonathan's son, we see how David showed him grace and how he worked in his life and all of those things. And in the middle of all of, and think about this, something we've got to be very careful about. Well, you see with David all the way through up to chapter number 10, you see blessing after blessing, victory after victory. And Christian, you've got to be very, very careful. When there's victory, when there's blessing, we sometimes get very comfortable with things. And that's what David did. Because after all these blessings, chapter number 11 comes in. One of the saddest stories you're going to read about in the Bible, which leads us to number four, David's mistake. Chapter 11, you got your Bibles. Let's go there and look at chapter number 11 and look at verse number one. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged it. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David should have been someplace else, but David stayed in Jerusalem. And it came to pass at eventide that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And you know what should have happened there was, you hear lots of opinions about the whole thing here. Well, Bathsheba should have been, shouldn't have been out taking a bath. Hey, this is probably when they did take a bath. David shouldn't have been on his rooftop at this time. And if David saw something he shouldn't see, he should have went back inside and quit looking at it. I've heard, and I, I'm not going to get carried away with what I say right here, but I hear so often times when men do stupid things, well, if that woman wouldn't have dressed the way she did, he never would have done what he did. Why doesn't the man just own up? How about he just do what's right? That's what should be said. Bathsheba, I'm sure this was the custom of the day. That was the time they would take baths, and David probably even knew that. He shouldn't have been on the rooftop. He should have been nowhere near there. Don't blame someone else for your sin. You have one person to blame for the sin in your life. And go look in the mirror tonight. That's the person you can blame. It's not my fault that you sin. It's not your spouse's fault that you sin. It's your fault that you sin. We see David makes a huge mistake here. We see what it leads. We see lust. We see adultery. We see deceit, which leads to murder. The man that God's blessed and the power that's in Israel and the blessings of God, and we see all of that come crashing down because a man makes a mis big mistake. You almost hear the word mistake, and it makes it sound like it's not that. It's a big thing. And let me just share something else with you and forsake... We're almost out of time, and I'm not even through chapter number 11. We, we aren't even halfway through the book of 2 Samuel yet. We'll get there in just a minute. But David didn't wake up one day and just decide he was going to do a bunch of bad things. That's not how sin works. It's the little things is where it begins. 
Sometimes I hear people use the word slippery slope. It starts in the little areas. Little things that you're not doing that you should be doing lead to bigger things. And you might say these little things are just not that big of a deal. It's the little things that lead to greater things. David did not wake up one day and say, I'm going to commit adultery to all this. I'm going to do all these things in one day. No, I think that David probably got a little prideful in himself and thought that he could do everything. I've, uh, there's a preacher that I know that sits in a jail cell today. Thought that he was such a great guy, pride in his heart. I know of at least two years before things went where they went and the things that he'd done, he stopped praying. So, so pastor, you're saying if I stop praying, it's going to lead to something worse? It's the little things that lead that way. Be very careful. The little things matter. The little things matter. Because eventually you keep feeding yourself and keep feeding yourself all these different things. What's on the inside is going to come out. David makes a huge mistake. But then we see in chapter number 12, we see number 5, we see David's repentance. David's repentance. And we're just about out of time, but you really need to see this. One of the, one of the big problems we have in Christianity today is the fact that we do not repent after we sin. We like to keep our sin hidden and cover it and not deal with sin. Christian, you say, I'm, I understand we're saved and your sin cannot separate you from God. That's settled and done. But a lot of Christians never get right with God. So how am I supposed to get right? I'm already right with God because I'm saved. You know what I'm talking about. Look at David's response. Look at chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. We're going to read quickly here. And, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save a little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of its own meat and drank his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter." And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and his own herd to dress for a wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger, look at this, was so greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. You watch some of the... When we're in sin a lot of times, it's when we have no mercy and grace for other people and we want to hang them for the things that they've done. Because we're living and doing things. And look what happens here, verse number 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives, and thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. If, thou, if it had been too little, I would moreover have given thee such and such things, 
Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife his, to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword, the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbors, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David son to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And you see that David acknowledged his sin. That's important. Psalm 51, you should write down the reference there and read it later on. We see David, the repentant psalm before God. Man, we should, be, we should go to God and admit, agree with God about our sin. That's what, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confess, agree with God, that's what it means. So number five, David's repentance. Number six, we see David's sorrow. Chapter 13 through chapter 20, and you look at David's life. You go from all the blessings that had taken place. In these chapters, from chapter 13 to chapter 20, God forgives David of his sin. But just because God forgives doesn't mean that consequences are wiped away. His baby dies. His family falls apart. David's son Amnon commits the same sin of lust and sexual sin as his dad, except he does it with his half-sister. This makes David's other son, Absalom, furious. And he murders Amnon. And do you see all the things that David did? His children did the same thing. Now, I want you to fix one thing in your notes because I gave you a bad thing in your notes. Instead, where it says Amnon flees Jerusalem, that should say Absalom. Absalom flees Jerusalem, not Amnon. Amnon was killed by Absalom. Absalom is the one who flees for three years after he murders his half-brother there. And he does it to get revenge for his sister. And then he flees and is gone for three years. And David brings him back in chapter 14. But David doesn't deal with anything. Then in chapter 15, he rebels and turns the heart of the people to him. And David's on the run once again, this time from his own son Absalom. Chapter 17 and 18, Absalom tried to kill David. But David's men end up killing Absalom himself. All of David's problems, chapter 13 through 20, and the effects it had on his family and everything else, were a result of what David did in chapter 11. Sin has consequences. And we might think that sin, we keep it to ourselves. But that sin messed up David's household. His children were affected by the sin in his life. And yes, children make their own choices. I understand all of that, and we're not going to get through all that tonight. But we see very clearly here that some of the things that happened to David's kids 
were a result of David's sin in his life. And it, it makes me really think things through. I got four kids. What sin in my life could hinder my kids? Think about this. What besetting sin, what sin that I struggle with that I can't get a grip on with the Lord's help could affect my kids? It's a very powerful thought and something to think about. And then we see number seven, David's epilogue. 21 through 24, it's not chronological. He goes back over some stories of Saul and David's failures. David talks about his mighty men. It shows David is weak now and he can't go to battle like he once did. Um, He numbers the people and the punishment that takes place on Israel once again. And as we tie this all together and as we round the finish line right here, in this book, we see several things take place. Number one, we see a blessed life greatly impacted by sinful choices. We see a blessed life greatly impacted by sinful choices. And that could be any of us. I would dare to say tonight that David was a better Christian man than any of us sitting in this room. He was a man after God's own heart. He had a relationship with God that very few people have ever had in the history of mankind. If David could make sinful choices, church, we could make sinful choices. We see David, a man with a blessed life that was greatly impacted by sinful choices. Number two, we see a good man give in to evil temptation. David was a good man. Read about him. He was a good man. You read some of the things that he did, and you're like, he was an awful man. He gave in to temptation. That's why the Bible says, there are no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God can help you. God can make a way of escape that you're able to bear it. Next, we see a sinning man turn to God in repentance. Repentance is very important. I could give you a list of names of people who have sinned against God in several areas in my nine years of pastoring, and they are not the Christians they used to be. Not even close. Say, well, what's the difference? Honestly, in all the cases, they never got right with God. How can you get back to where you were and keep going forward for God if you won't admit what you've done and move forward? It's very important. We see a sinning man turn to God in repentance. Next, we see the blessing that comes from obeying God. Man, David's life was sure blessed when he was doing things God's way, wasn't it? Hey, Saul's life was really blessed when he did things God's way. Best way to live, Christian, is doing what God tells you to do. Can't go wrong obeying God. Next, we see the sorrow that comes from fleshly living. Man, I'm sure for David it was awful hard to have King Saul chasing him and wanting to take his life. He had a relationship with Saul. 
But think about your own son wanting to kill you and trying to. Think about the sorrow. Think about that child being born and dying. Imagine how Bathsheba felt during that time. Really imagine how David felt during that time. And then, lastly, we see the effects of our sin are far greater than we could ever imagine. Be very careful. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sin, Christian, will cost you far more than you want to pay. Through it all, though, let me tell you something tonight. In spite of David's failures, in spite of all the failures that take place from Genesis through 2 Samuel, God's redemptive plan was still moving forward. And next Sunday night, Lord willing, we'll start in 1 Kings, and we'll see David on his deathbed and see his son rise in power. And as we go through, that was a big breakdown tonight. But there's so much packed into every book of the book. There's so much stuff. I want to encourage you, spend time in God's Word and get to know the Word of God. You will never go wrong spending time studying God's Word. You will never go wrong. And we as Christians, you know, in this world, whatever our profession may be, we study, we study, we study, we study, we study. What do we do when it comes to being a Christian? We just want the pastor to feed us or listen to a good sermon on the radio, or whatever the case may be. We need to study, study, study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, thank you for.